sometimes when I think about all the comedians that have, that I've been around who are no longer doing it. Um, I mean, the vast, vast majority of people who start out like I do just don't make it. They just, for one reason or another, they, it's hard to make it and everything has to line up just right. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just shows me that you've got to be funny. That's very important, but you also have to have a very good work ethic and that's mm -hmm. equally important, maybe even more important. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Path Distilled. And we're excited today to have Brian Bates. He's a stand-up comedian, and he's also the co-host of Nate Land Podcast with Nate Bergazzi. Um, welcome to the show today, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And so um, could you tell us a little bit about what you currently do and uh, introduce the audience? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a stand up full time stand up comedian, which means I currently don't do a lot. And, uh, but before the pandemic, uh, I was traveling the country doing doing shows uh, uh, at comedy clubs and, and theaters and things like that. And, and I'm still doing some shows a lot fewer these days, but there's still some comedy clubs that are open and usually at 50% capacity. And um, so I'm doing stand up comedy when I can. And also the podcast, as you mentioned a couple of months ago, Nate Bargatze, who I opened for on the road, he started a, a podcast called Nate Land Podcast. And myself and Aaron Weber join Nate each week. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's given us a new creative outlet throughout this pandemic. And um, so yeah, that's basically what I do these days. I'm a, I'm a newlywed and we just moved into a new house, so I've, I've got that on my plate, but uh, yeah, that's what I do. Nice, and I'm looking forward to hearing your story. Uh, could you take us back to when you first got involved in comedy? Yeah, so I started very late in life for a stand-up comedian. I was 35 when I first started doing it, and most of the guys that and girls that I was starting with um, or, you know, in their twenties, usually early twenties, that's when most stand-up comedians, um, get their start. And, um, my dad passed away in December of 2006. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, I want to, I want a new, I want something to kind of not a distraction so much, but kind of a distraction, something to cheer me up, something new focus in my life. And, um, something maybe to just help get my mind off of it. And I'd always been a fan of stand-up comedy and my friends had always told me I was funny, but I didn't really think about it as a career, but I saw where there was a stand-up comedy class being offered. Um, it's a four week class. And I thought, Oh, I'll go do this class. It'll be fun hopefully. And, and we'll see what happens. That was January of 2007, a month later. And I'd never, uh, I'd never been around a stand-up comedian. In my mind, I felt like they're probably not people I could identify with and kind of unapproachable in a, in a sense. And, but the guy who taught the class, his name is Rick Roberts, and he's a very good down-to-earth guy and 
funny, but yet approachable. And he's still a mentor to me today. And I took that class in 2000, January 2007. It was a four-week class. And at the time, I thought, okay, I'll do this, and then I'll be done with it. But I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed the people in the class. And we started going to some local open mics together in, in Nashville. That's where I live, is here in Nashville. And um, started making friends and kind of got a little competitive, as, as anything does, and really started enjoying it. And then the next thing I know, I'm just – I'm still doing it and keep going and then I start traveling to do these terrible shows just because you just got to do it and not really making any money but over time um you know I started getting a little serious so a few months a few months in I'm like you know what I think I'm going to keep doing this for a while and still work my day job so that's when I started getting a headshot made I got my first headshot made because they were uh um you know they they said, you got to have a headshot if you're a comedian and, and, um, and, oh, there it is right there. And, uh, <laughs> um, my wife told me the other day, she's like, you know, you look older in that picture than you do now. <laughs> um, that's from 13 years ago and I don't know what I'm doing with my hand, but, um, but yeah, that's when I'm like, all right, I'm getting serious about it. I'm going to try to do this. But I had a day job working at, um, a local TV station here in Nashville. And um, I'd been there for quite a while since college. So I didn't quit my job day one. I actually, for eight years, worked my day job at the TV station. And then I would pursue stand-up comedy. Um, and, and finally, I got to the point in my career where I'm like, you know what? I think I could do this full time. And um, Everyone said, don't quit until you absolutely have to, until it's really becoming a problem. And for six months, I lived off just my stand-up comedy salary to see if I could do it, and I could. So, um, so yeah, I, I quit my job after almost 20 years working at the same place. I quit my job, and that was five and a half years ago. And so for the last five and a half years, I've been full-time stand-up comedy. So I'm curious, were you writing before you took the comedy class or did you start writing after the comedy class? I started writing after. I mean, occasionally I would, I remember my church had a talent show and I got up and did some jokes that I had written there and that went well. And um, occasionally at a work function or something, maybe I would get up and say something funny. But no, I never did really write much. Besides that one church event, I never wrote until, until I took the class. Um, there's a huge gulf and sorry Lauren I'll go okay. back to them. Um, there's a huge gulf between the open mics and actually getting paid um, as many comedians know so could you take us from those first open mics until how you got that first paying opportunity yeah um, so like I said I started January 2007 I remember my first paying gig was a Christmas party the end of that year and there was four guys that we'd all took the comedy class together so we're all about the same level and one of them I think actually I did someone myspace me uh, and said hey we're doing this Christmas party I can't remember how they even found maybe they just found me somehow and they said would you guys be interested in coming to do it and we said yeah I mean we were so excited and none of us had much 
time like that we could fill, but four of us together, we could fill the time. And we each price ourselves at $50 each. So I remember going to meet with this Christmas party planner and our total budget was $200. They were kind of like, that's it? But we were so excited. We were like, wow, we're making money doing it. And I remember it was at, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Nashville at all, but it was upstairs at the Wild Horse Saloon, and which is a popular country music venue, dance venue there. And so there was a band playing below and we were in a private room upstairs. It was kind of a bad experience because there was music thumping through the walls. And we none of us were that funny. I mean, we'd been in it less than a year. So we were excited, but at the same time, I think we kind of realized that that didn't go that great. Um, that's my first paid gig. And then, then I went a long time probably before my next one. And it was always just small money here and there. Um, but then gradually just started building up a little bit. Yeah. So are you writing? Um, are you actively writing at this point? Or do you have a schedule? Or are you writing things as they, that you, as they come to your mind that you think is funny? How is that going at the time? Um, I've done both. I, I've, uh, at, there's been times when I've scheduled myself to sit down and write each day. And then there are times where it just kind of, when it hits me, Lately, that's been the case. I'll be honest, during the pandemic and when I don't have any pressing gigs, I feel less motivated at times to know that, I know that's not what this podcast is about. It's supposed to be about chasing your dreams and not being lazy, but- um, Not necessarily. <laughs> it's a very human response, so don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> it's a little bit like cramming for a test, I feel like at times. If I, if I see something on the horizon, I, my brain focuses and I'm like, you know, I gotta start writing. I gotta get creative. But when there's nothing on the horizon, I feel less motivated at times to be creative and write. Um, but at the same time, 2020 has been such a crazy year, especially for me getting married and now living with my wife during a pandemic. I've certainly written some new material and gotten a few chances to perform it, mm -hmm. and it's going well. Was that so I'm curious about. Um... I have a question about what you were just talking about, but I'm curious yeah. kind of going back a little bit to your experience in that class that you took. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and what type of feedback you got? Yeah. So it's, it's a, um, a lot of comedians don't feel like you should take a stand-up comedy class or, or they'll think you can't learn anything from it. If you're funny, you're funny. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I would agree with that to a large portion, but it can certainly help you with some, other areas, um, just basic stage presence, um, some basic speaker guidelines, helps you build confidence, helps you know how to move the microphone stand, some, some stuff we take for granted. It also helped me build a rapport with some of my classmates. So when we would go to open mics, I already had a friend and someone to lean on, and that's, that's important, you can't underestimate that. But then it would also show you some basic writing skills and some ways to um, just make your jokes tighter and edit and help you understand how to formulate a joke. And it's all kind of about finding your voice and different styles work for different people. Um, the, the teacher was very encouraging. 
it wasn't high pressure, but we did get to do a little performance at the end of the class for our friends. And that was, that was fun. And our friends were very encouraging. So early on, I felt like, man, I'm the greatest comedian in the world because <laughs> all my friends were coming. I'm like, this is not hard at all. I am yelling it. But then in time, your friends are like, oh, you're still doing that? Okay, well, I'm not going to come this time. Um, and then you just start having to make strangers laugh, which is, you know, totally different you know, and a lot harder. And that's kind of what I was curious about, you know, related to what you had been talking about with motivation. You, you mentioned that you were doing it kind of like as a, a side gig at first, right? And, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. have now switched to doing it full time. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what's similar or different for you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I avoided some of the mistakes that young people make <laughs> Um, by getting into it later in life. I'd worked in a real business for a long time and had some basic people skills that probably helped me. Um, so I think I've wanted some of the pitfalls that some people make, although I certainly made my fair share. And then when I first quit my job though, um, I remember I needed some structure. I'm used to going to work at a certain time and having meetings at this time. And now I'm on my own. I'm dependent on myself to be self-motivated. And I remember I had a hard time adjusting to this new lifestyle where it's kind of dependent on me to a large degree. So there was a mind shift there, mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to allocate my time wisely. And um, there's also, uh, when you're out and about at a job, there's some external stimulus that lead to creating and writing and now I'm stuck in that time my little condo and all day and um, I remember I quit my job on uh, at the end of 2014 so it was right at Christmas time and winter and it was I remember it was just getting dark at four o'clock in the afternoon and it was kind of depressing so right out of the gate I remember thinking I don't know if I made the right decision or not but a few months in, two or three months in, I started kind of find, finding my groove and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, things have been going great since then. Well, I want to learn a little bit more. So you took the class in 07 yep. and had the first paying gig at the Christmas of 07 and so mm -hmm. 08. So what was, <laughs> what was I that mean, like? I, I may have not even had a paying gig in 08. I don't, it, it, it was very small, very few. I don't really remember what my second paying gig was. Uh, well, let me broaden it then. Between okay. 08 and when you were able to quit your job, how did that come about? Well, I started, um, I guess, the you know, I started getting, so the comedy club in Nashville is called Zany's Comedy Club, and it's a really good comedy club. And the process is, besides going to comedy open mics, you need to kind of hang out at the comedy club. And... Um, so I did a lot of just hanging out at night, which was killing me because I had to be at work the next morning and I'm, and I'm just hanging out there late at night, but it, that's a big part of it. They want you to, they want to see that you're serious about it and they want to build relationships. And then eventually they hear enough about you or maybe they see you at open mic that they offer you three minutes at Zany's. And then eventually if you do that well, you get bumped up to seven minutes at Zany's. And these aren't even paid gigs yet. These are just, you get to come perform at Zany's, which we gladly took. And then um, I 
Oh yeah. You know what? I think my second paying gig was probably, I finally got to MC at Zany's and um, I was so excited and so nervous. And, um, but you know, I, I got paid maybe $50 a show for that weekend. $50, $50 seems like my going rate apparently. <laughs> now that I think about it. And, um, <laughs> And but I was so excited. And then I, eventually I got to MC a little bit more. And then the first big comedian that um, I started that who asked me to do some shows with him was um, a guy named Henry Cho. And he was a veteran comedian that's, that's still around and I still do shows with him. And, and he wanted a clean opener and I was clean. So that, that worked. And, and that was a big thing for me. And then Angela Johnson, another comedian who I used to do some shows with. This is like, this is probably about 10 years ago now. Um, I started doing some shows with her. And then I built a relationship with, uh, with Nate Bargatze and we became good friends. And then Nate was already doing great when I met him, but certainly not to the point where he could start taking an opener on the road. But eventually he did start getting to the point where he could take openers on the road. He started taking me on the road with him whenever he could. And then this is over many years. I finally got to the point where with all that, um, I started getting played on satellite radio and started earning some royalties from that with all that. And I'd been saving, saving, saving. I finally thought, you know what? I think I'm at the point where if I'm very frugal, I could quit my job and do this full time. Mm -hmm. But in saying that, I still wasn't making much money even when I quit my job five and a half years ago. Um, but at the time I was single and uh, living a frugal lifestyle and making it work. You mentioned earlier, there was a moment where you kind of second guessed that decision. How did Maybe. you resolve that? You know what? I, my job, I'd been at my same job for 20 years. It was a good job. It was a, I worked at the local TV station. I had really good close friends there. And I didn't realize how much my identity was wrapped up in my job mm -hmm. until I left it. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. And so much of my identity was with my job. And then when I first quit, even though it was my decision, I kind of was like, wow, I should be in a meeting right now. It's one o'clock. I should be <laughs> in this meeting. And, and my self-worth, I had to kind of figure out, you know, my self-worth and, mm -hmm and things like that. So it was a, just a little bit of adjustment period. So I can't imagine how hard it is for people who get furloughed or laid off or, or fired because this was my decision and it was still hard for me. Mm -hmm. But I quickly adjusted and, and now I feel, you know, great about it. The, so you've now, would you say you've now kind of shifted and have fully taken on that kind of comedian, stand-up comedian identity? Yes, I have. And I still have close friends at my old job and still see them. And, and when referencing the TV station I work at, I do find myself still seeing we like, because I was there for so long, but at the same time, um, so I guess I still feel somewhat identified with it, but at the same time, yeah, my mindset is, my mindset is definitely shifted. And, um, I no longer, when I first left there, I wanted to know everything that was going on. I wanted to know the gossip. I wanted to know changes. And now 
just like any job, the longer you're gone, the less you identify with it because change happens. So now I don't, I don't care as much. Uh, I don't identify with it as much. Now I'm all about the gossip going on in stand-up comedy. <laughs> Do you find that, you know, now having this identity as a stand-up comedian and are there kind of pros and I'll say cons, but maybe challenges that come with that? Uh, yeah. Um, I, people don't know, yes, here's one of the cons, I guess. People don't know how to relate to you and they, um, they don't know how to talk to you. And um, when they find out I'm a stand-up comedian, like if I'm at the doctor's office or the dentist office or whatever, I try to avoid that <laughs> because then they, they want me to tell them a joke or, <laughs> you know, and I'm in a very awkward situation with my mouth open at the dentist or whatever. And even if I wasn't, comedy just doesn't work that way where tell me a joke. That's not, that's not the way stand-up comedy works. So I try to avoid telling people if, when at all possible what I even do because um, I just feel like they have a hard time identifying with it. Um, but the pros, um, I mean, if you get it, you get it. And it's, it's a pretty cool job. And I have some people who think I'm a lot bigger deal than I really am. <laughs> and I let them think that. <laughs> so, I go with it. <laughs> so what was it like the first time? Cause you're, with Nate, especially, you bound to play at some large venues. What was it like being on the stage for the first time in one of those larger venues? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was, um, theaters are so great. They're really, to me, the easiest venue. And I would get more, I get more nervous performing in front of 10 people than I would a thousand because I know with a large crowd, at least somebody's going to laugh. <laughs> so, and hopefully you'll hear it. <laughs> and hopefully I'll hear it. But with 10 people, maybe not. So um, theaters are really great. Everyone's facing you. That's very nice. At comedy clubs, there's people eating. They're maybe not facing you. There's waitresses walking around. Glasses are clinking. But in a theater, if it's done correctly, everyone's facing you, everyone's paying attention. Um, the laughs are different because if it's a really big theater, then you have to pause a little bit on your jokes because laughter really does kind of move to the back of the room. Mm -hmm. And so the timing's a little different, but, um, but it's really fun. It's really, it's, it's, um, it's a great experience. Yeah. And has it, you have a really good, I enjoy your comedic style. Um, and it made Thank me wonder, you. you're welcome. And it made me wonder if, uh, if it's like many comedians, once they've become as good as you are at writing, if it's hard to make you laugh now or harder to make you laugh, have you found that to be the case? Yeah, I do actually. I mean, my, my uh, standards have changed a little bit <laughs> and uh, the comedians that I thought were so funny when I first started now, sometimes I don't feel that way. I was kind of a novice to stand-up comedy. I didn't follow it that close before I got into it. Mm. I knew the big names that everyone knows, but I didn't know some of the best comedians in the world because they haven't had a sitcom. Yeah. So um, when I first started and I'm taking a comedy class, I remember when we did our, we, did got, we got to do a graduation show and I thought I killed it. I thought, man, I'm doing so great. And all these comedians are so funny. But then the headliner was a real comedian, a guy had been doing it for years. And 
when he got up there, the difference was so drastic. I thought this guy's the greatest comedian I've ever seen. Well, I still know that guy and I don't feel that way anymore. Mm. <laughs> uh, no offense to him, but my standards have changed because I'm around comedy so much more and I've heard so many of the different types of jokes and the styles and sometimes I get frustrated with audiences because I'm like, why do you think this person is so funny? It's because <laughs> they go to a comedy club maybe once a year and I go all the time. So I've seen all these premises and, uh, you know, some of them, their ideas is not fresh. It's kind of hacky. And, but I have to realize audiences don't know that. And I didn't know that until I got into comedy. And so was Sorry, that makes me, maybe we're going to ask the same thing, but it makes me curious about what all goes into this. Like you mentioned, you still go to shows, you, you know, listen to a lot of different comedians. Right. Maybe give some insight into that, because to your point before, I think it is not that common to kind of, for people like me, like anybody, to know mm -hmm. exactly, you know. The assumption probably is you just get up on the stage and tell some funny stuff, right? <laughs> I, I know that that's not the case. <laughs> right. Well, I remember, um, I mean, it's easy for me to sometimes say, and I do say this, and my friends sometimes say this, like, oh, that guy, he's, his act is so dumb that only dumb people would like him and find him funny. However, I have good friends who are, are very, I consider very smart people that will go to a comedy club and they'll see this comedian and they think he's so funny and then they'll tell me about him. And, I'm, and internally, I'm like, oh, good grief. But I can't call them dumb. They're a lot smarter than I am. It's just, you don't know any better. And it's all subjective. So everyone has different styles. I'm sure you would like some comedians I don't like. I'm sure I'd mm -hmm. like some comedians you don't like. And, and we all have our own style. So there's really not a right or wrong, I guess. So Did that answer your question? Or yeah, and I was kind of curious, too, about in terms of what you invest into your own process. Do you, um, it sounds like you spend a lot of time kind of watching oh, other comedians. Yes. And, um, yeah, I still, again, pre-pandemic, I still go to open mics in Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, not as much as I used to, but I still, if I have new material I want to try out, it's hard to do that in a theater where people are paying a lot of money to see you. It's not fair to them. So I got to try them out somewhere. Right. So I'll go to open mics and try them out. And that's not always the best gauge because most of the open mics are terrible and it's just other comedians there waiting to go up themselves. So they're yeah. not even paying attention, but you got to try it somewhere. So I still go to open mics when, when I can, I still, try to write. I still try to hang out um, at comedy clubs when I can. It's a little bit different now that I'm married um, because I try to balance my time a little bit better, but I still, you got to treat it like a job in the sense that it's not just when you're on stage performing. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's hanging out, a lot of it's writing, a lot of it's performing, practicing basically. That's what open mics are. Mm -hmm. So Social media is a big part of it. There's so many different factors that you, you really need to treat it like a job. Mm -hmm. And this is only loosely related to that, but have you ever had a joke that you've been workshopping and either you really loved it and it never landed anywhere, like you couldn't get it to go 
an audience to love it as much as you did? Yes, I've had many jokes like that. Uh, I was trying to think of an example to give you. I don't know if I can think of an example right offhand, but I've had so many jokes that either I just didn't tell it right or it was just funny to me, um, but I just could never get it to work. And I have had jokes though where maybe I tried it five years ago and they didn't work, but then I'll, it'll jog my memory or I'll find it somewhere and I'll try it again. And now it works just because I've become a better comedian. Mm. Um, so that's encouraging, but like, I'm not a great storyteller and I've had some funny stories that I've tried to tell on stage and that's a special skill. Nate Bargatze is a great storyteller and he has this special skill to tell these stories, but that's not my strong point. And I've tried it, but it's, it's not what I'm best at. And sometimes I'll tell stories and they just don't land like they should. Well, have you ever found that combining two premises or jokes has helped one or the other? Yeah. A lot of times I'll have a joke that just, I don't know what to do with it or it doesn't seem to fit or maybe it just doesn't get a good enough laugh. But then later on, maybe years later, I'll have a similar premise or similar type of joke and that does work and then i'll take that old joke and i can slide it in right there and now that it has a home as well either um to go with that joke like a tag or maybe just a good segue into another joke but um that's a great feeling when i have a joke that i didn't know what to do with and now i have a home for it it's like one of my children i found a <laughs> found a home for them it makes me feel good you mentioned um that story you don't feel like storytelling is kind of your strong suit what yeah. do you feel are your is your strong suit or are your strong suits and how did you recognize that or cultivate that i feel like i'm a better writer than i am performer and um i feel like there's some comedians that are great performers on stage but they're not good writers there's some comedians that are great writers but not great performers I mean, I, ho I hope I'm not a bad performer, but I think my writing is ahead of my stage presence. Yeah. I'm not overly animated. I don't convey like, I don't know, like some, some, some comedians just command the stage somehow with their presence and they have a lot of energy and they have a lot of just pizzazz, I guess. And um, they're good with voice inflection and impressions or act outs, you know, they can tell a story and do act outs and you feel like you can just picture it. That's not really my strong point, but I feel like I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. I feel like I can do your, you know, your setup punchline type, type jokes. And um, I feel like I'm pretty self-aware to the point where, um, I'm sorry, it's getting darker in my room. I hope you can, can you guys still see me? Yeah, <laughs> you're good. I've got a big shadow on my face. Uh, um, but I think I'm pretty good at writing about, um, I feel like I'm good at knowing what my audience likes and how they see me. I think I see me that way. So there's some comedians that they'll write jokes about themselves, but their act doesn't fit their appearance. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and, and then the audience is kind of like, I don't see that. I don't see that in you. It doesn't seem authentic, usually because it's not. But um, I try to write very authentic and truthful stuff.
that's what I was going to say earlier. Your stage presence matches your personality <laughs> or what seems to be your personality. Um, and I would go as Good. far, do you consider yourself a cerebral or smart writer? Like, do you, well, I like would to, you label your I like comedy to that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually say it publicly on a podcast, but when I'm at home, I think that, sure. I tell my uh, wife that all the time. Like, this is really good. Um, really brainy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I asked in part because that one joke, um, if my audience, if the audience is interested, they can uh, find it online or live whenever more shows are available. But yeah, um, where you, you're talking about um, the accidentally texting yourself. Yes. And the. Uh, yeah, that was funny. Kevin was sending me some of your stuff over the weekend. <laughs> oh, thank you. And then that moment where there's almost a pause where the audience, it, there's a lag. It, you can see the audience getting it. And then you yeah. get a, a applause break. Um, and so I think that's rare or difficult, at least, if, if it's not rare. It's a, a difficult accomplishment. So I thought, you know, the epitome that at least epitomizes in my mind a cerebral or smart writing. Uh, if, it, if there's that it's such a smart joke that there's a lag before people can understand it. But then when they do it, uh, it just <laughs> blows well, their th mind. Thank you. Sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes they never get it. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of those jokes too, where, Oh, no, nope, they're still not getting it. I got to just move on. Um, you know, that joke's very, it's interesting you mentioned that joke because it's the only one I think I've ever had where um, I I know that happened to another comedian a little bit, not exactly the way I worded it, but he really did accidentally text himself and it was something similar like that and he forgotten. And I thought it was so funny. And it was a joke where I felt like I could easily see that happening to me. And I felt like it would work well with my material and this comedian, he's a, he's a local guy. He's very funny, but he's not doing it full time. And he just, he wasn't even telling it as a joke. He just told me in a conversation about this. And he, and I, I kept telling him, you need to try that as a joke. And this is not his thing. So finally I said, well, could I try it as a joke? And he said, I absolutely have at it. So then I wrote it as my own. Um, but that one actually, that's the only joke I have where I borrowed that from somewhere, someone else. Mm. I was going to ask where you tend to get your inspiration. Yeah, I mean, it does help when you, comedians talk about finding their voice, and I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, I do think at, after a while, you finally kind of figure out what, what doesn't work for you, mm -hmm. and maybe what does work for you, and for me, it's, I, I have a lot of self-deprecating jokes, I have a lot of kind of, uh, you know, real personal jokes and things like that. Not, nothing crazy. I'm clean. And um, now that I open for Nate so much on the road, um, I certainly, um, it helps me to, uh, to better understand what I should be doing because Nate's audience is like clean and uh, my style is not the same as Nate's, but it's not that different either, if that makes sense. So what so have you learned? Somebody keeps trying to call me. I'm sorry. I hope you can't hear that. No, I can't. Okay, good, good. Um, so what, what have you learned? Lunch? What have you learned about yourself throughout all this? Um, gosh, I hope I've learned something. Um, <laughs> that'd be bad if I haven't learned anything. Um, you know, I've learned how to be a little bit more of a self-motivated person. Um, 
I'm used to, I used, was used to having a boss that uh, to some degree I was doing it just not out of fear, but like all of us, to some degree we we do it because, you know, we don't want to get in trouble. So <laughs> from first, well, first it's your parents and then it's um, your teacher from first grade through college. And then you get a job and you have a boss. So there's always somebody that's checking your work. So mm -hmm. when I quit my job and um, had just started to become my own boss, it was the first time in my life where it was up to me to get the job done. So that's one thing I've learned, how to be a little bit more self-motivated and, and work for myself. And you're by no means, was it a short path, but no, by comparison like they're just like musicians there are people that toil for years and never end up with the level of success that you had have you had any comments or criticisms by other comedians that you somehow got a shortened path or um not not to my face at least i'm sure maybe behind <laughs> my back but um and i've said that about plenty of comedians myself <laughs> um you know it has not been a short path. It's been, I've been doing it for 13 years and I'm still, uh, it's not like I, I'm setting the world on fire, but at the same time, I do realize how fortunate I am. The majority of the people who start stand-up comedy don't do it very long and they quit. All the guys that I started doing, that took that class with, and we were doing it together, none of them are still doing it. And um, I realize how fortunate I am to because i could easily have seen me like it's hard it's really hard mm -hmm. i wasn't interested in going to open mics and hanging out with 20 year old guys and when i have to be at work the next morning or hanging out at zany's so if i hadn't gotten a few breaks along the way i wouldn't be doing it now that wasn't even my goal originally but i i was fortunate and i had some i was blessed with some good fortune and and hopefully i'm making the most of it I was curious about that now that you kind of bring that point back. You, know, you mentioned that you started on the heels of your father passing away as kind of like a distraction. People told you, you know, mm -hmm. you're funny. Now, 13 years in, what drives you? What's the, what's the goal at this point? Well, I mean, I'm always, I'm not the most competitive person in the world and I'm not the most driven, but I am somewhat competitive and somewhat driven. So I'm always trying to get better and do better. And now that I'm married, I feel like I have someone else that I want to um, do well for. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the past, there was, I guess, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, if I fail, I'm only hurting myself. Mm -hmm. And I'll just go do something else, I guess. But now I have a wife and she, I mean, she doesn't need me, don't get me wrong. She makes a lot more money than I do. <laughs> But at the same time, I want to um, feel like I'm contributing to this marriage and I want to make her proud and, and I, I just, you know, so there's some extra bonus to extra motivation, I guess, to work hard and do my best and, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what advice would you have for an aspiring stand-up comic? Well, um, be patient, um, be diligent, be, uh, 
work hard in, in the sense that a lot of stand-up comedy is co uh, connections and um, meeting the right people. And that comes from hanging out, not just performing. And um, I mean, that's really the case for me even. Uh, uh, so obviously, none of the people who asked me to open for them knew just because they didn't know me by reputation, they got to know me and mm -hmm. they liked me and, and then those relationships built. Um, more specifically for a brand new person, I would really suggest that they work clean because it'll give you a lot more opportunities early on. You don't have to be clean the rest of your life if you don't want to, but and starting out, comedy clubs want clean openers, mm comedians want clean openers even if the if the headliner is dirty he doesn't want his opener to be dirty necessarily he wants to save that for himself mm -hmm. so if you're clean you can get so much more work not just at comedy clubs but corporate events um just it just opened it leaves so many more doors open and then if you're like well that's not my thing eventually once you get more established then maybe you, you can be more dirty, but it would really, uh, it's important to be clean early on just to keep more doors open. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the dirty style of comedy, do you think it's waned in popularity a little bit? Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's gotten worse. I feel like in some ways, I don't know. I mean, the world's more PC for sure. And there's more council culture for sure. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do feel like uh, maybe just because I'm around it a lot more, it's just it's more and more dirty podcasts, everything. Mm -hmm. Just uh, there's 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 a lot of uh, stuff out there that's that's not clean for sure. Um, it's a good question. I, I guess I could see myself going either way. I feel like comedians are getting so dirty, but at the same time, maybe with some council culture going on there's certain things they're they can't say anymore i just look back at the early 2000s and it seemed like <clears throat> there was a trend this seems like everyone was trying to outdo one another or at least they were popularized or it was well known that people were trying to out be i was trying to be dirtier than the next mm -hmm. comedian and it seems like that doesn't happen as much anymore that might just be my imagination maybe i'm getting older <laughs> no you may be right you may be right i mean uh there's certainly still plenty of dirty comedians out there for sure uh shock value is, is still a thing but i know what you're saying early 2000s that's that's when uh maybe really really it was happening and there's a i don't know there's a there's a whole group of new york comedians that call themselves the, themselves the legions of skank yeah. and <laughs> and they, um, those are good guys and I know some of them and they're very funny, but, but that's not my style, so to speak. Sure. I would imagine though, there is right. Some cultural influence to the comedy, right? Like I, I'm here in New York city, right? So kind of New York city comedy might have a particular flair versus Nashville versus another location. And you know, then having to, to travel around and do different types of shows that might be kind of an interesting consideration. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. Like, did you say you're in New York? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So um, I feel like New York has by far the best comedians anywhere. And I'm friends with some of those guys, and I've gone up there some to perform. 
But what you'll see often is because they're stuck in the city, so much local references to subways and just things around the city, which works great there, but once they go out in the rest of the country, doesn't work as well. Whereas if you're in middle America, you maybe can identify a little bit better with audiences in the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, sorry, Kevin, because you mentioned you've been in it for 13 years and while that might not sound like a long time, the world <laughs> just keeps changing faster mm -hmm. and faster. Mm -hmm. So what have been, you know, since you kind of embarked on this, what have been some of the things you've noticed about how things have changed and how it's impacted you and how you have to approach things? Well, um, when I got in, it's, it hasn't, it, comedians that have been doing it a little bit longer than I have tell stories about having to send physical DVDs or even VHS tapes to comedy clubs to get seen. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I avoided all that. By the, <laughs> by the time I started doing stand-up comedy in 2007, it's very similar to it is today where you just email a link mm -hmm. um, or something like that to clubs. And um, so that's good. Um, I've just seen so much turnover. I still feel like I'm a newbie. I still feel like I'm a new guy on the scene, but sometimes when I think about all the comedians that have, that I've been around who are no longer doing it, um, I mean, the vast, vast majority of people who start out like I do just don't make it. They just, for one reason or another, they, it's hard to make it and everything has to line up just right. Mm -hmm. And um, it just shows me that you've got to be funny. That's very important, but you also have to have a very good work ethic and that's mm -hmm. equally important, maybe even more important. And when I say work ethic, I also mean, basic people skills to be able to, you know, work with people, things like that. I don't think that was your question exactly, but um, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, it does. You talked about the New York City specific references such as subways. I was yeah. just going to make a statement that uh, things like sleep, sleep apnea resonates in the Midwest, right? Or anyway, yeah. they're more yeah. generalized. <laughs> Midwest, uh, South, yep, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. In my audience, I mean, I work with some comedians that have older audiences. I mean, I'm 48. I'm considered older, I guess, but I have some comedians that I open for whose audiences are in their 50s and 60s. They're going to laugh at things that are different than mm -hmm. the, than an audience in their 20s and 30s. Sure. It's just it's just natural. Um, some audiences are more majority women. Some audiences are, uh, I don't know, they, they all have their own different flair. If the headliner has a following, you can usually kind of get a sense of what works and what doesn't. And when I first started comedy, for most of my career, I haven't had enough material that I can interchange it. I just got to do what I do and hope it works. But now I'm finally getting to the point where if I see this crowd just doesn't seem like they're gonna like this or that. I'll change my set some. And I performed a couple of weeks ago at a moose lodge here close to where I live. And the crowd just, they just weren't the brightest, I guess. I could just tell, I have certain jokes that are for dumber, dumber audiences. I, I don't know how else to say it. 
And so the other comedians that were performing, I could see what was working, what wasn't. So I kind of quickly changed my set list to kind of bring out some of the easier jokes. That's a better way to put it, easier jokes. And so I finally got to the point where I'm smart enough to figure that stuff out and have the material that I can. Not totally change my set, but you know what I mean, make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned your, uh, you just turned 48. When you, yeah. when you search your name, um, it says Brian Bates, comedian age is one of the autofills. Do you know why people are so curious about your age? Huh, no, I didn't even know that, but I'm, I'm curious, is that, maybe that's like that for a lot of people? I don't know, is it not? I don't know, I just, uh, <laughs> I should probably check before I mention it. <laughs> I can't imagine anybody's really cares how old I am, but I don't know. I, I've Googled people before and weird things will pop up, like, uh, I don't know, their wife or whoever. And I'm like, are that many people really asking that question? Oh, yeah. Or is that just a standard go-to? I don't know. I've noticed wife a lot. It'll, yeah. come, it'll come up. Um, and so you were mentioning the advice for young, younger, or at least uh, starting comedians. Yeah. A lot of the focus is whether or not people, um, the nature versus nurture debate, whether people are tend to be born more, let me back up. Yes. Born with greater <laughs> abilities to do things. Right. Then they don't necessarily have to cultivate that. That's an extreme right. on one end. The other side of that is they're really born with no natural ability and they have to cultivate all of it. And mm-hmm. There's everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your stance on that continuum? Okay, that's a great question. I haven't even really thought about that, but I would say it's a little both. I would say it's nature in the sense that I notice more comedians are left-handed. I'm left-handed. That generally means that means the right side of your brain is creative side. Mm. So I feel like there is something to that as far as the way you're born. I would say majority though is nurture because um, so much of the, you can just tell by their material, life experiences is what's led them down this path. And I'm going to generalize here, but there's not a lot of good looking people that are doing stand-up comedy <laughs> because their life is different than the rest of us that maybe has some stuff and we use our sense of humor as a defense mechanism or as our way to deal with the world. And to take it a step further, you know, there's not, there's no ways as many women stand up comedians, female stand up comedians. And it's not because I think they're born less funny. It's just think, I think society molds you to work on certain things and women are told or taught to, you should do this, you should do that. With men, it's it's a humor, it's something that's embraced more. I feel like, mm-hmm. and and you use it to to try to woo the woman, or so to speak. And so, I just feel like culture and society has more to do with uh, like women, and as far as how many of them pursue stand up comedy and and things like that, and and our lifestyle. So I would say the majority is. Uh, That'd be nurture, right? Nurture is your, your, what happens in your life. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of comedians, again, to get up there who have great lives. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I have a great life, but we tend to mind the stuff that happens. So many comedians, as you know, have suffered with depression mm-hmm. and have had terrible childhoods, and then they use stand-up comedy as 
um, is their coping mechanism. I guess you could say it could be nature if they were born with depression, but I feel like more, more times than not, it's like things that happen to them in their, their life that's led to this. Wow. And do you think that, that was there anything before and feel free not to answer this, but there's anything before that tragedy with your father dying that you think might've influenced your humor? Well, um, I was never, if you've listened to my stand-up comedy, I was never like the ladies man. I was never the great athlete. So I was always kind of the funny guy in school and I did use humor as a coping mechanism, so to speak. I always really, and I still do, really want to be liked. I think that's a popular thing with a lot of stand-up comedians. We want to be liked, which is so weird that we do this profession where you put yourself out there to not be liked. <laughs> but um, I was always, I wasn't the class clown, so to speak, in school. I was more um, drier humor, but I always wanted to make people laugh. and. Uh, but that was based on because I wasn't good at other things. I wasn't the great athlete. I wasn't the homecoming king. I wasn't the guy who got all the girls. So I channeled other, other aspects. Nice. And what's the biggest takeaway from your story? Uh, which, which story exactly referencing? Uh, just your life and comedy. My life story. <laughs> the biggest takeaway from my story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Whoa, boy, that's a that's a big question to just threw there at me. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've I've had a very I'm very fortunate life. Don't get me wrong. I I did not have some traumatic childhood experiences. Um, overall, my life's been I've been very fortunate. Um, so. Maybe if I had more traumatic experiences, I'd be funnier. <laughs> Maybe I'd be a lot further in my career. So I wish now that I'd had some bad stuff happen to me so I could have a whole new hour special. Uh, just think how great I could be right now as a comedian if more bad things had happened to me. I'm we'll all, I'm we'll all be funnier after 2020, it seems like. That's for sure. I, I, have a feel, I feel like, Kevin, you are pursuing stand-up comedy. I feel like you want to be a stand-up comedian. Um, well, I was. I'm surprised he didn't tell you that before we got on the call today. Oh, uh, so you did, used to do stand up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've done it in the past. I was uh, at the point, the fork in the road where you chose uh, comedy over career. I'd already been through some graduate school training. Oh, wow. And moved my wife across the country. And I was getting offers to go on the road full time, but um, because I was, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blaming my wife, but I'd already been through that, <laughs> that, that lifestyle. <laughs> And, She's uh, going to listen to this episode, remember. <laughs> um, and I basically made the decision. There was a, a guy that had television credits that I recognized, and he was asking yeah. the, the club owner for more uh, gigs because he was mm -hmm. basically had to pay a bill. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, if he's that, if the margin is that thin for him, I don't want to spend another five years trying to make a, long story mm -hmm. short, make a name out of, uh, for myself in comedy. So uh in some ways I gave up and I regret giving up on it, but other ways, I guess it was the right decision. I think it's the total right decision. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in graduate school and you're going across, you'd have to go cross country with your wife. I think you made the right decision. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it's, and actually uh, Keith Alberstadt was at my first uh, open mic. I don't know if you know Keith. I know Keith very well. Yeah. Yeah. And he is 
kind of what you were saying, of course, you're, I was too novice, too much of a newbie to really compare myself to what you were saying, but uh, you said you're a better writer than you are a performer. Yeah. And Keith's uh, really positive feedback on my writing, but that's really about all he commented or bragged about was how good the writing was. So I guess I'm a better writer than performer as well. Yeah. You also, to be fair, you did spend a lot of time on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still write. Um, so I lost, I stopped for a while and then it's back again. So my writing so happens. You still have that bug. I see. Oh yeah. Where, uh, where and where do you live? I'm actually back towards um, Middle Tennessee now. So. Oh, you are. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, Maybe hopefully. I'll run into you someday. <laughs> yeah. When I was gonna say, when things uh, calm down a little bit, I'll. We need to try to get together. So when Keith Aberstadt, that was was that at Zanies in Nashville? Uh, I was actually the. It's no longer there, but it was the bar car. Oh yeah! Wow. So you do <laughs> you definitely know the Nashville comedy scene then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's uh, it great. Was, um, ended up moving out of state after that original run there, and so probably kept me from getting as involved as you did. But uh, so that's what happened there. Yeah. Well, I mean. I could easily have, look, right now it's pandemic. Check back with me a year from now and I may be working at Kroger <laughs> bagging, bagging groceries. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough on all the uh, live performers, the musicians and comedians and everyone yeah. else. Yeah, it's for sure. For sure. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's very, it's very hard. Oh yeah. And I, um, I'll stop because Lauren will remind me this isn't my episode, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that uh, look, the listeners will realize that I was geeking out asking you the questions. So uh, it's just because I've been through a lot of it and it was fascinating to hear you say. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you're a fan of comedy yeah, and that's why I thought, I bet he even wants to pursue it, but it sounds like you, you have pursued it. Yeah. I'd, List in my bio that I'm an occasional stand-up comedian, but it's been a few years since I've touched the stage. But he used to yeah. test out a lot of jokes, not only on his wife but on me also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lauren was my first uh, work wife so <laughs> back in the day, so we're well. I'll just say the great thing about stand-up comedy is you're never too old to to do it. And I mean, I was 35 when I first took that comedy class and went to that open mic and I'm 48 now. And, uh, but if you're willing to put in the time, I mean, music's so different, but in music, if you haven't made it by the time you're 30, you're probably not going to make it. But stand-up comedy, I know acts that are grand, that's their act. They're the dirty grandma or, mm -hmm. or whatever. And you know, they're 70, 80 years old and still doing it. So you never it's never too late so maybe when you retire that could be your second career after this episode i might just uh relaunch <laughs> yeah you've inspired me good well cool um well thanks so much for joining us um, yeah it's fun hanging with you guys the path Stilled is hosted by kevin harris and lauren tashman created and produced by kevin harris the content is copyrighted by the path Stilled. all right preserved.